Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Save the gold. We'll see. And we are live. It's 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 UTC. Uh, What time is it in Chicago, Bill? 12.30. We got 12.30, yeah. What time is it in London? Probably 6.30, right? Yeah, so I think with daylight saving, it's 6.30 p.m. Perfect for the uh, commute home on the tube. I don't think people are doing that right now. Yeah, I don't know. Some people. (laughs) What's happening, fellas? Just, uh, you know, living life, watching the markets. Yeah, wild times. If my math is right, this is our uh, our 30th episode. Ooh, this this year all together. Feels like total. total. Is, yeah. Not bad. Us in the ten. When, when do you through, get good? Uh, hey, Port Moresby, Samson saying, What's what's good? I think we're still working on it, Toby. Toronto. We're, we're still out here. It, I, maybe by uh, episode fifty, we'll stop announcing all the locations and times never, around the world. Did, never. <laughs> oh man. It the feels good news good is you can just fast Ohio. forward. Ohio. You can skip. Skip forward fifteen seconds. Yeah. San Fran. There we go. I love it. It's the That's future, like how man. Chris Iron starts his, right? He's Grand like, uh, you know, I shout out all my Patreons. If you don't like it, fast forward through it. Us, <laughs> we're telling you the time everywhere in the world. If you think you can look that up yourself. It is fine. London. 6.30 in London, I'm guessing. Hey, shout out to the guy on the tube. Thanks for tuning in. P-Town. Scottsdale, Arizona. What's good? Sweden. This is excellent. Yo, Scottsdale, what's COVID like out there? I'm worried about my mom. She's out there. Bangalore, Sacktown, Victoria, Just, BC, uh... Belgium. All right, Toby, you going to let me talk? Yeah, brother, you go. Keep, like, fucking <laughs> announcing stuff. What do we think about this this COVID cure? I mean, I know that we're not, uh, we're not, we have no idea. We're basically three idiots talking about this, but Pump incrementally good news, yes? Pump and dump? Yeah, I don't again? think it's. I don't think that's the. I, I want to know how the phase two of the trade negotiations are going. Oh, dude, it's infrastructure week. You get the memo. <laughs> Is it happening? I I don't know. They say so. We might as well start this out. This is uh, value after hours. I'm uh, Bill Brewster with my co-host Jake Taylor. Jake, what are you going to be talking about this week? Uh, I have astrophysics and information. All right, and uh, Tobias Carlyle, the esteemed, my my host and other co-host. Uh, oh, captain, my captain. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, yes. Yeah. Please tell me where we shall sail. I think I think it's a treacherous market right now. I think it's big waves over a coral reef, uh, and I think there are a lot of new surfers out here with us, and uh, I just think that you need to be a little bit careful. I love Davy Day Trader. Love that guy. Love every single tweet that he puts out. But you just want to be careful uh, following Davy Day Trader. This uh, this requires a little bit more work most of the time to kind of figure out what you're doing. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about. 
I don't see why you would think that it would require more work than thinking Boeing is an airline. Uh, that, that seems like sound. I know the seas. I know how the fog That's rolls right. on the water. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I'm going to revisit uh, my topic from last week, and uh, then I got something to say at the end of the show. So uh, I'm going to kick it off if that works for you guys. Do it. Um, last week, uh, I had talked about Transdime and, you know, easy questions at the bottom uh, or or at lower prices, I should say. And um, I, I want to reiterate that I think that the decisions are much easier when prices are lower. I think that that's objectively true. What I don't want to minimize is the risk that that entity carries. Uh, and I, a good way to get your head around it, if you heard me talk last week and you're interested, uh, is if you read the Inspector General's report uh, for the Department of Justice, uh, where they said that Transdime was earning excessive margins. Um, that is a very good report. Uh, what is excessive? Man, in that report, they say 15% gross margin. Or, or, well, it's profit. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's profit. And what, what do they I, mean by excessive? For the customers or excessive for a business of that type? Or what, what's that? Or that's just at peak earnings multiple and so you're gonna, it's going to come back from there? So I, I'll just tell you what I, what I think they are talking about is gross profit. And the reason that I think that they are thinking or talking about that is the margin that they cited, if you back into it, is 61% on the sales and Transdime's margins are mid fifties. So that's why I think they're talking about gross. Uh, I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, I was looking more for like the, uh, the qualitative discussion of, of the price gouging uh, or the alleged price gouging. Yeah, that's what I was trying to understand. Is that what they're talking about? Okay. They're saying yeah. those are excessive. And, and what they're basically saying is like, you have to provide the DOJ with uh the cost of goods that you're making. But in Transdime's case, their argument is we don't have the cost. Uh, some of these parts are like very old run or they're priced too low. So it's below the threshold that we have to provide your cost. So there are other ways that we're going to uh, price our products off of it. One of which is like older sales and the other is uh, sales in the commercial market. And some of the prices are eye popping. I mean, uh, you know, like four thousand percent gross margins or whatever on a, on a part. What Transdime's retort to that is is you know, it's a one off part. We've we've either inventoried it forever or we have to spin up everything and make it. And yes, uh, it is correct that that particular part may look egregious, but in the whole like scheme of things, it's not. Now whether or not you want to you know, agree with that argument or not, or I'm articulating it correctly or not, I would encourage people to go to the source information and find out for yourself. What what Nick Howley, the CEO, said is like, we are not uh, a traditional defense contractor. We fund all of our R&D internally. We sell to the commercial market, and the DOJ happens to pay the same prices that the commercial market does. So, um, look, I, I think... Uh, there's a lot of reasons to dislike that. There's some reasons to dislike a levered philosophy that somewhat relies on that. Uh, the end market is cyclical, and uh, some people pitch it as secular. And I just want to be very careful, given uh, some of the events in my current life, 
to uh, tell people to seek the other side of the trade and not rely on, you know, what I may be saying or somebody else. And just to wrap up, um, like when I was doing AB InBev research, there's great, great information in the antitrust cases in the U.S. and in the EU. And Buffett has often talked about uh, I don't rely on non-public information, and I think that government reports on companies are like a very underutilized or under-discussed um, resource that's out there that you know the U.S. taxpayers pay him for, and it's it's sometimes really good information. Where, where do you find so, them? Well, with that Depends. one, Twitter, Twitter.com. <laughs> yeah. Well, with so like I can think of three off the top of my head. The Transdime one I was just talking about just. You know, Google Inspector General uh, report on Transdime. That'll bring that one up. Uh, AB InBev, you can just, you know, uh, Google like AB InBev, uh, SA, or, yeah, SAB Miller um, uh, acquisition antitrust, right? And then EU and US. And then uh, the other one is, um, what's the third? Can I just? So the oh, there's, is, there's, 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 there's a, no repository. Yeah, no, there's, but, but, there's, but I'm just. My yeah. question is, you are actively looking for this stuff, uh, open-endedly. How are you kind of tracking it down or finding it? Well, it's mostly by finding the news, right? Like, so, okay. so there was a big 5G report that came out that uh, Sorkin had cited, and I just went to the, like, the source documents are so much better than people's interpretation of the source documents. Right. I mean, okay. even here, I'm just I'm talking about my memory of this thing and I'm tired and I've had a stressful weekend. And, you know, I so so if you listen to what I'm saying, like, it's just not the right story. Do you need so to be a lawyer to, to read them? I don't think so. It, it takes work. It's like reading 10Ks. You know, you don't open a 10K and get it the first time, but then eventually it clicks. But like investing takes work, right? I mean, unless you're uh, buying the airlines, which is apparently easy. Or or uh, the cruise lines. That's easy too. That's right. That's right. Uh, I got to I gotta say, I mean, I know uh, on, on Twitter, I, I took a shot at him or, or not really. I mean, I just think you got to be really, really careful following Davey Day Trader. But man, his media, he is good at what he does. I got to give him that. It's a great Super follow. It's one of the oh, yeah. it's one of the best accounts out there if you like this stuff. But uh, yeah, we I'll talk about it a little bit when. Yeah, I'm not trying to bomb on him at all. I, I love what he does. No, I think no, it's I'm great. not either. I just 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 to go back to TDG. Why isn't the point of a business to sell the stuff that you sell for basically the profit? You know, you're trying to maximize the profit in the long run, right? So you don't want to gouge your customers too badly, so they go and get another supplier. But you want to charge them. I don't know what the I remember. I've, I don't remember microeconomics, but I remember you know monopolies don't charge the absolute like they don't charge an infinite amount. They charge according to some long run demand or supply curve. I can't remember frankly, but and I, the, the theory doesn't really matter that much anyway. But I just the point is, aren't they trying to charge as much as they possibly can for these things? What's wrong with that? Well, so it's a razor razor blade model, right? So their their argument is we invest a lot in R and D. And we start to make money as the product season. Uh, and the issue that the DOJ has with them is like even the competitive bet bids 
they're being sourced from Transdime. So it's Transdime selling to somebody else and then that person selling to the DOJ. So like, I mean, like I think something like 38 of the 41 parts were actually monopoly parts. Um, and Howley, I mean, the CEO, he you said, mean, if you don't, you mean he OD when you're, Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. Don't uh, gouge the DOJ. <laughs> no God. Yeah. And I've said it over don't and over the DOD again. either. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jake. Uh, my, my head is in a different place. Uh, but, um, you know, he said, he's like, if you don't like it, go buy it from somebody else or, or have somebody else reverse engineer it. And I, I think the point that he's making is like, yes, I agree with you that if you were to look at this one transaction in isolation, it may appear egregious. If you take into account all the investment and warehousing the inventories over time, you'd find it's actually a pretty efficient method. Has the DOD looked at the margins on its uh, Microsoft Office? Uh, like that software as a service, there's pretty fat margins in that too. What about their cable well, subscription? Pretty good margins in that business. Yeah, well, I this is where I think that... Uh, Three wrongs quality, don't make a right, Toby. But if you, well, if you gotta or, make the stuff each time, like you should be able to charge something for it, right? You gotta, you gotta have a factory. You gotta know how to do it. You gotta do it. Yeah, and if and if it is a one-off part, you have to stop your assembly line. You have to, you know, start one up. You got to make it. I mean, the, retooling is not cheap. Uh, as a taxpayer, I'm not saying that I loved seeing some of the numbers, but I also don't think it's as egregious as uh, it may read. There's nuance in life. When I was a kid, I remember it was like people were upset because there were like four thousand dollar hammers and four thousand dollar toilet seats and things like that. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, I don't know, $1,200 latches or something like that. Maybe it's, it's like, an important that latch. That? That's right. Well, if it didn't have to go. Uh-oh. So much. Bill went into the bill tricks. <laughs> oh, did I? Briefly. Am I still here? You are. You're oh, fine. Oof. It was only very. I heard, I heard you talk Thanks. shit about the government. <laughs> Thanks, Comcast. Anyway, that's all that I want to say. I want to say, you know, don't don't listen to people. Don't listen to their pitches and buy stuff. Do your own due diligence, and the source documents are the best. So I, ha I have a little bit of follow-up with that. With uh, Actually, kind of dovetails into what I was going to talk about. But Jim Chanos has this really great uh, metaphor of information as an onion. And at the very core of the onion, where there's the most signal-to-noise ratio – are the SEC filings typically probably also would put government uh, reports like that into that that center core of the onion. The next layer out of the onion is the corporation's kind of interpretation of all of the information that they're giving you. So those are like their slide decks, their conference calls, uh, annual reports. The next layer out, also by the way, like diluting from signal and noise, it would be like supply uh, sell side research. Um, industrial publications, things like that. Uh, and then finally, on the outer layer, you have the rumor mill, Twitter, Seeking Alpha, uh, you know, Wall Street bets, um, <laughs> like that kind of that area. And so Chanos has said before, and I thought this was interesting, was you know, he'll read something in the in an SEC filing and then read like almost 180 degree difference of someone's interpretation of what he just read in a, you know, on Twitter or whatever. And he just like can't square those two things. And I think he's he's right. Like I think we if you're depending solely on the rumor mill for your information, 
then like your chances of catching like reality head on, I think are, are pretty diminished. And, you know, the worst of it being, you know, if you're just, if someone's entire thesis is just stocks only go up and that's like what they're telling you. <laughs> well, Said, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's what, it's kind of what we're hearing right now a lot, right? If that's the entire thesis. It's been there, true since March 23. Which is what about how long been? everybody's been in the market. It's been true since March 2009. Well, that's true. Are we at, are we at all-time highs? No, we can't be at all. The queues, I, I think the queues were. February queues are, yeah. But I think February was still higher. There's nothing. The queues are, the, the queues are everything. What do you mean outside the queues? Right. What are you Dude, talking? <laughs> you know what? One of our listeners said, like, I'm saying that I know that I'm going to lose on this, but I'm keeping on doing it. I'm not going to lose on this. Get out of here. Come on. On what? Can't lose. I don't know. Every, everything. Everything. Built everything. Built yeah. All my shit. Please. Do you want to do yours, JT? Continue with your thoughts uh, there? Yeah. Yeah, the sure. These are at highs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. All right. So I'm, I'm switching to oh, shit. astrophysics mode. All right. This will hopefully be a little bit shorter since we've had some feedback that my uh, my veggies sometimes take a little too long to cook. Uh, <laughs> so, if you uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but in the universe, the so far what we've observed is that approximately eighteen percent of the matter. This is cracking me up real quick. I'm having problems uh, concentrating. So, all right, <laughs> let me just regather right. my thoughts. Bill, focus right now. 18% of the matter based on mass in the universe is is visible to us. And the other 82% is dark matter that we can't see. Okay? So it's like a 4 to 1 ratio, which I think is... We can't see because it's too far away, or we can't see because it's like... What's dark matter? It's... Well... well That's that's another podcast. All right, I'll look that up myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look that one up. I'm sure there's a... There's a tweet about it that'll explain the whole thing. Um, but let's let's think about like, is it possible that the, you know, when we're all sitting around trying to figure out the cash flows that are going to be created by a business over time, is it possible that we might have the visible part? Like maybe it is like we have about 18% of the information that we would need to know the exact number. And the rest of the information is dark matter that we can't measure. We can't see it. We won't know the answer. So, you know, things like we would never know the managerial squabbles that are happening inside of a company. We would never know if the CEO maybe was sick and it's like Game of Thrones happening in there. Like, who's going to try to take over? Um, You know, we wouldn't know that if employees were planning on leaving, especially I think this is exacerbated by, uh, you know, big stock option grants that turn employee especially early employees into millionaires and they're kind of hanging around waiting until they can cash those checks and then they're leaving right uh we never we don't really know what's happening inside of every customer's head uh i mean we you know people try to do like net promoter score and things like that to get a gauge at it but i mean this stuff is pretty sloppy measurement right uh we don't know we don't really know what assessing what the culture looks like from the outside no different than we don't know what a family is is happening on the inside of a family from the outside, right? Like you could meet some family and think like, man, these guys are great. And on the inside, when no one's around, they're terrible to each other or like who really knows, right? So this is very similar to 
you know, celebrity divorces that just happen. And we're like, oh, they seem perfect for each other, right? Like it was so, it was, it was a very, it's a very manicured, textured, or, or like cultivated presentation that they're giving you. And it's, it's the same thing with the companies that we're all looking at, right? They're putting their best foot forward for you in a public domain. So I think on, on top of that, there are also these external factors that you can never really know the answer to. Like, you know, you don't know what their competitors are working on and cooking up. We don't know what's in some garage somewhere that a kid is working on that's going to totally disrupt the business model that, that you depend on all those future cash flows for. Uh, we don't know if the government's cooking up an antitrust suit against them. We don't know if there's environmental impacts, like perhaps a, a pandemic that you didn't see coming. Um, you know, who knew that there was a guy in China eating a bat in, in November that turned into all of the things that we're looking at now, right? So, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, that right. Sucks. So, Poor I mean, bastard. They probably serve them up all day every day. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, I do, do. I do sort of feel bad for him, but this has not been a great year. No, it, it hasn't. So, all of which is to say, if if the ratio really is four to one on what you can see and measure to things that you can't see and measure. Um, I think that that then really you should take that as like a, you have to be more conservative with your position sizing. You have to be a little bit more intellectually honest about like how much do you really know about these companies? Um, I think you got to back off on your certainty a lot because while you think that you can, you're, you think you see the entire universe because you, did all the work to see the 18%. There's a whole other 82% potentially that you have no idea the answers to. Uh, and it's, I, I think it calls for some, some intellectual humility. This is where the value school says, pay us, pay a low price. Right? right. And then, and then you are reducing the probability that the other 82% hits you in the face. And that is what value has a hundred percent. Correct. Or the impact of it. Yeah. So I got a, I got a couple of good comments. Uh, don't want to let them slide by. Oracle of Brouhaha says, uh, you really don't know these things if you're diversified, but if you only own a few companies and you have energy, you can actually do this kind of research. I think that's probably truer on the smaller ones than the bigger ones, but I don't disagree with that. You want to comment, JT? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to push back on that in that I think maybe in earlier time periods, it was easier to do that. Uh, and kind of like how the universe is expanding at like something like 46 miles per second, um, you know, per megaparsec. But it's what's happening there is like, I think that the, as the, I think we're increasingly in a global world and business is done at global scale. And so it's, I think it's harder and harder to know more of the answers because it, it's gotten so it's gotten so much more complicated and i'll give you an example like so munger's talked about this guy uh that his name was i, I always get it i can't pronounce it well but it's, it's john ariaga something like that and this guy bought tons of real estate around stanford's campus in the you know before it was kind of stanford and before it was silicon valley and this guy is now worth a couple billion dollars and munger said before that that this guy never left his little circle of competence. He knew that area and he stayed in that area and he created this uh, really an empire from, from just knowing that little area. And 
by the way, I think he's uh, Mark Andreessen's father-in-law. Uh, oh, really? Smart. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. this guy's worth $2 billion because he stayed in his little circle of, of competence. And his circle of competence happened to be Silicon Valley. Yes. That so helps. there's definitely some kind of survivorship. My circle of competence is a little country town in the Australian outback. That, would, that wouldn't <laughs> that help. That wasn't going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of which is to say now, I think it's harder to... Like the world has gotten so much more interconnected and, and really it's like harder to have these little localized markets like that for most goods and services. Like we're, most things are competing on, on a bigger scale. So there's therefore, I think more information to be able to have to process to get some of these more extreme outcomes. Yeah. I would push back on that a little bit too. I worked as general counsel of a public company uh, and the sell side research that we always talked to had, you know, they had worked out what we were going to grow to in any given quarter. And to be fair, like they were, that was reasonably accurate over time. And I think that part of that is sort of being able to take a step back. But being inside the machine that hit those numbers was an entirely different thing altogether because it was literally, it'd be 4.30 in the afternoon on the last day of the quarter and we'd need a material sale to close to hit that target. And it was sort of turning on, whether the sales guy and the general counsel could get it done in like an hour to finalize that agreement. So I sometimes think that the statistics are maybe uh, don't realize how much sweat and effort there is underneath and that how, how like coin flip some of these things are. And it's not necessarily bad if they miss. And it's not necessarily great if they hit. It's just randomness. Well, and I mean, even people within organizations don't know what's going on. I mean, like, uh, it, it's all it's a it's a function of complexity of size and how many human interactions there are and like when I was when I was at BMO I, I barely even knew what our group was doing I knew what our team was doing but I didn't know what our group was doing and that led up to a group head and that led up to a commercial bank head and that led up to that like you don't know what the hell is going on for real you just sort of know the culture there's a great line in uh, Sherlock Holmes where he says that uh, and I forget who, who he's quoting in that, but he says that, you know, man is basically, no one knows what any individual man is going to do, but men in aggregate sort of start to conform to some statistical, I put the quote in one of the books, which is, it's kind of the way I feel about it, having seen it from the inside out. There's a lot of stuff going on all the time. It's enormously random what hits and what doesn't hit. But over time and in aggregate, the numbers do get a little bit clearer. So I don't mind, that's sort of the way that I invest is a little bit step back, not drilling down, because I don't know that it gives you usable information maybe it does but i think that you can do fine step back looking at aggregated numbers and just being uh humble and careful about recognizing what the limitations are and that might mean diversifying a little bit well and jake i mean you and i have talked about this and i i don't know if we've had the same conversation toby but uh i mean that's why we've talked about like uh organizational culture is anti-fragile right and like like working on analyzing what you know like markel for instance uh is some a, a group i know right and like i just know who those people are and i think they will try to do their best over time and over time i think that works out well i don't know what this quarter is going to look like i don't know who's trying to stab who in the back within the organization if it's even going on like i don't know any of that stuff but you trust them because you can look back and see what they have done as manifest in the uh, the numbers that they've put up, right? Rather than what That's they've said. Correct. 
That's correct. And honestly, you know, I mean, I, I probably overweight this. I really think the, the hiring of Sarab was a, that was very, that was a lot of signal to me. I thought that that was very out of the box thinking. And, uh, I think he's a great addition. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Anything else, Phil? Should we move on to mine? We've got about 13 yeah. minutes before yeah, we hit the... Yeah, well, it can be 15 or whatever, but yeah. Mate, I'm going to hit that mark right dead on the I nose. I know, you're very good at time. You are very good at time. Uh, so i just been really enjoying, you know, watching Davey Day Trader <laughs> on, the, on the Twitter machine and, and everything else. Uh, clearly, there are lots of folks following him and I've, I've been looking at... You can pull up uh, Robinhood. There's a robinhoodtracker.net Basically, it's there's a there's a little URL you can tag onto the end of that, and the ending of it is whatever ticker you want to look at. You can pull it up, and you can see how many holders, how many Robinhood holders in each of these individual names. And so I've been kind of just amusing myself going through them and seeing like what's getting a bid, what's not getting a bid. It's striking how uh, I and I've said this before, Robinhood buyers are. Uh, are definitely dip buyers and that either makes them value investors or bag holders and we don't know yet which one it is but i think you got to give them credit they have aggressively bought stuff that's fallen the, the places where you don't got to give them credit is things like hertz and uh, chesapeake because uh, they've aggressively bought into bankruptcies there that uh, and then they've done the, the billion dollar capital raise in hertz where the, the yeah. debt's trading at six to seven cents on the dollar. That means equity collects nothing. That means that debt takes a 93 or four cent haircut, which is a lot. And then- uh, is, is, that, is that a big down? That's a lot I'm not down. Sure. Yeah, that's hard It'll to be, come back Is from. that bad? <laughs> and then the billion that they've raised, uh, that goes to the debt holders. That's, that, that's not going to clear the debt. Because there's, they've, they've got to do another one. But, you know, while the market's going to take that stuff, they're going to feed it to it. Now, legally, it's okay to do it. Whether you like that ethically or not, uh, that's a question. Uh, I, I think it's pretty... I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't do it because I want to have a have a good reputation and survive for a long time in this industry. So I wouldn't necessarily go ahead and do it. But it is legal to do it and it's all disclosed. They're telling you right in the document that you're not going to collect unless something really drastic happens and they don't anticipate that happening. They couldn't be clearer. So there's a lot of guys out there, I think, who are, uh, you know, it's very, very easy to trade this stuff. And sometimes the fact that it's easy to do it sort of masks how much work you really should be doing before you put these on. So I, I got a background as a, as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I did diligence for a decade, worked in a public company, and I've worked in public equities since then, reading filings. I've read a lot of filings. I've done a lot of reps. So I think that for a lot of things, I can look at them pretty quickly and decide, you know, when Moderna had its little pump and dump, the moment that I read that, I was pretty confident that was going to be a pump and dump. That's what they look like. You know, when Hertz so you, was doing so its... So you're saying that like uh, 30 seconds of due diligence isn't sufficient? I mean, it's, it's sufficient to pass. Okay. There you go. There you go. That's it's true. not sufficient to buy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think to buy, you want to be doing a lot more work. So I got, you know, I've built out systems and things. It gives me a, I'm able to cut pretty quickly to the part that I want to look at. And I'm sure that you're the same. When it is hard reading 10 Qs and Ks, but if you read a lot of them, you know where you want to go pretty quickly to see what's happening. Like, what's the first thing you check in a 10 KRQ? Just interested to know what's the first thing you look at. I like to look at the cash flow statement. There you go. What do you look at, JT? 
He's going to the Jake Tricks. Oh, How convenient. Oh, How convenient. No. <laughs> yeah, that is convenient. I like to read the IR presentation. <laughs> I well, I just think that it, it we when when the market looks as easy as this, um, often that might be disguising the fact that it is a lot harder than it looks. And I think we're gonna we're gonna oh Jake Jake's back. You were in the you're in the Jake Tricks very briefly there, mate. Did you did you hear the question? Where where do you look in the ten Qs in case? Yeah, I heard everything. Um, yeah, I will. I will typically look at a a long sweep of of the numbers of the the actual financials um, first, and then from there, um, I, I will dig in more to to a little more of the qualitative things. But you know, I don't know if you guys know, Buffett has a he has a disqualifying checklist. Yeah. And there are three things that he asks himself before he'll do any more research on a company. And if any of those three things are a, are a pass, then there's no balance of any other good things about it that he could learn that will put it back into his funnel. So what are they? I think that's a pretty good way. Um, I knew you were going to ask me that, of course. Uh, let's see. So does he – I think one of them is um, does he like the, the CEO – Another one is, uh, does it have like reasonable margins? And then I think the third one uh, is tail risk. Yeah, that makes sense. I always look at the balance sheet. I go to the the the, uh, the junkiest, the the bottom part of the asset list, and I just look at what they're including in the assets. And then I go to the bottom part of the liabilities list and just look at the stuff that like the last three entries that they're that you don't know what they are. That's always the first place to look because I'm trying to work out what they're hiding in those parts because everything else like everybody knows what yeah. cash is cash payables and cash. receivables inventories everybody knows what those things are it's the stuff that's hidden underneath that that's some weird thing that's where they're hiding all of the good stuff i think it's the same thing on then the same thing on the income statement what stuff are they hiding down here in costs and at the bottom that nobody's reading oh we disclosed it just we just knew that you weren't going to read it I think a lot of a lot of the pros that I really respect, they say I read the audit and then, you know, I move on from there. Right. Like those are the guys that start. I mean, that's the closest thing to the source documents. Right. And even in the 10K, you get to MDNA and you start to get the corporate spin. People yeah. Start to like do the language. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that's I, I enjoy that stuff. I think if people can communicate what's going on in the business in a clear manner, it helps me get a sense of who they are. But I mean, the audits were like the real hard, you know, I don't know, rubber meets the road, so to speak. Yeah, you want to be careful of those qualified opinions, given how loose they are, I think, in most things. I'm amazed that Tesla keeps on getting a clean bill of health from PwC. PwC's got a little tail risk there. Mm. Yeah, what's the, is everyone worried about the AR? Is that what Einhorn's been harping on? You need an accounting PhD to understand that stuff, and even then... It's a little too much flexibility right now, maybe. Stonks go up. Stonks right? do go up. It does seem that way. I've been, I've been, I get increasingly uneasy when the market is like this. I don't want to be kind of labeled as a perma bear. I, I want the market to go down a lot so I can buy some more and be a perma bull again. But like the market to me, it just looks, there's a lot of guys in here who are, you know, if you look at those Robin Hood holders, the number of holders in those accounts, like they have, they have hockey sticked up in some of these names that have gone down. And that just means there's a lot of people with exposure to them, and that must be creating buying. They're selling that uh, that order flow to 
to other folks is my understanding. So there are other folks front running it. Yeah, well, it's disclosed. Can't yeah. complain. I don't think, I mean, I all you have to do is click, you know, the user agreement and scroll to page five and everybody does that, right? Yeah. Page 500. <laughs> JT, I think, uh, uh, not JT, sorry, Bill, I think I'm, 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 I'm too, uh, I'm too eager to hear what you have to say. Oh, you want to take no. it away? Uh, yeah. Too early? No, it's fine. Um, I can do it. Uh, but do you want to do you want to do some questions for five minutes before we yeah, yeah, before yeah, we jump yeah, in, yeah, yeah, folks? Yeah, you want to throw us some I questions? I sort of want to get we'll... my head right. Hit us with hit us with some questions, and then. Oh, dude! I got uh, this. I got a mailbag from a while back about uh, concentration and position sizing, which I think is a pretty good one given, um, you know, Jake's topic. Uh, and I I don't even know that we can really know right now, but uh, the guy just said that, uh, you know, in general, there's a lot of discussions about uh, concentration here. The question. Questions kicking around in my brain that I'd love to see you discuss on the podcast. Why is position sizing risk and general portfolio management so rarely discussed? The damning math of, of being unfortunate enough to oversize losers and undersize winners is, in my mind, more important than what I buy. Yet, especially in the value space, it seems like it's almost never discussed. Um, I have to dive into the trading world to really understand a lot of the math and principles. What are your thoughts? Well, I wrote a I'd book say, on it. Yeah, that's, what I, that's why I'm asking you. And then you also had that interview, didn't the didn't you interview the guy that said that uh, he just equal weights everything because it, his results were better, or did you comment on that at one point? Well, I equal weight everything because I think it's extremely hard to work out. You know, when you're down to thirty names out of fifteen hundred, you're already at the very pointy end, and to say that that thing, one thing is going to outperform another, I think is very hard. Having said that, there are guys who can do that. Icon's portfolio outperforms an equal weight version of his portfolio, which indicates he has some skill in identifying which ones are going to be better and which ones are going to be worse. I've thought a lot about I think that concentration and diversification and position sizing is literally half the battle. Stock picking is one half of the battle. The other half is, is making sure you've got the right positions on, the right size for these positions. Because, you know... You have to understand how how much something is going to how volatile something is how much it's going to move around. But if the, if it's a zero, you don't want to have a material part. If there's a potential for a zero, you can't have a material part of the portfolio in there. You got to start treating it like an option. It's got to be an option size position, which is one to three percent. And three percent is pretty aggressive. You want to be kind of more of a Kelly betting type investor to to be doing that. Kelly's really hard to implement for a variety of reasons because it's. Uh, you know, the numbers are softer. Uh, you don't include tail risk properly in it. If you include all of the universe that you should, it scales everything down. And Kelly's the outer limit of what you should be putting on these things. Anything inside that is still conforms to Kelly. So you can be smaller and still conform to Kelly. It's going up more than that, that, that eventually risks ruin. Toby, do you think that like half Kelly, which is a pretty popular approach, is still... What do you feel like that fits on the kind of the risk world? Like, is it is that a good approximation, or would you even tell people like a third or a quarter? I think half is half. You probably can't go wrong, really. Although, I think that when people the 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 the, the test that you should do for yourself is just to create, you know, so do a, do Kelly in single, 
at, for a position that you think you should have some portion of your portfolio in and have a look at how much it tells you to put into that position. Then go and include things that anything that has a positive expectation bet that you can put on. So treasuries, um, corporate bonds, gold, other stuff like that and feed it into something where it, it keeps on recalculating, recalibrating until it gets down to the sizing. And you'll find when you do that, that the position is much, much smaller. And so half curly is a good approach. It's still, you're still not getting enough return for your volatility at that point. Kelly, full Kelly is the right mix of return and volatility. But uh, it's so easy to overestimate Kelly that you're much better off underestimating. And, and the positions are going to be much, much smaller than you. Like a 40% position is almost impossible in a Kelly, properly calculated Kelly universe. They're going to be much, much smaller, 10 or 5%. I think, you know, like you, you look at Buffett and Yolo. he's got that, well, he's got that speech where he's like, you know, I'd have 50% my top name. And I've, I, we said this last week, like I get it, but like that's Buffett. I mean, that dude is a wizard compared to mere mortals. Plus a little bit uh, of luck. Yeah. A ton of, I, well, maybe not a ton of luck. I mean, I think he would have been fine no matter what, but there are, uh, I guess, other paths of outcomes where he's not necessarily Buffett. Amex. You know? You know, financial yeah. in a fraud that can go two ways. I mean, he was right. Maybe his analysis was just exactly right, but I think I think some... he might have been. Plus, it was cheap, right? I mean, you get uh, you get the combination of the events. Yeah, but that's that one man versus the group of people that you can sort of bet more on their behavior. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? I mean, that's a really do There's still a lot of idiosyncratic. And if it's if it's true to the nature, you know, it's four to one idiosyncratic of things you don't know. <laughs> All right, Bill. Yeah. It's right. time, mate. Let it rip. All right. Listen, uh, to anyone that doesn't follow me on Twitter or doesn't want uh, something serious to enter their life right now, please tune out. Uh, I had a family tragedy this weekend, and I'm going to attempt to clear up the record, and it involves suicide. So, uh there's your trigger warning, and uh, if you decide not to be here, uh, I totally understand. All right. Uh, I've never had to do this, and I hope I don't have to do it again. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank everyone that has reached out to me since this weekend. Uh, I'm glad that I helped some people. Uh, and uh, my weekend started out really nice. We were in Wisconsin, and on Friday night, I got a call from my wife's aunt. And uh, it was the type of call that when you pick up the phone, you know that something's gone horribly wrong. I later found out that Alex, my wife's cousin, had committed suicide. When I found his suicide note, I was shocked. It read, and I quote, If you're reading this, I am dead. See suicide two for why. I or see image suicide two for why, I suppose. How does a 20 year almost a million dollars worth of leverage the puts i bought and sold should have canceled out but i have no clue what i was doing in hindsight there was no intention to be assigned this much and take this much risk and i only thought i was risking the money i actually owned if you check the app the margin investing option isn't even turned on for me a painful lesson fuck robin hood i this is the not the quote anymore uh, I was pretty shocked uh, and confused when I read that because Alex, I knew well, and he did not have a ton of money to take on a million dollars of leverage. So when I had phrased my tweet thread 
asking the exact question that he asked. How was a 20-year-old with no income able to get assigned? I mentioned $730,000 because I uh, had seen uh, a picture of his account. It was Im the image suicide, too. Anyway, uh, I'll get back to the what I wrote. Um, the addendum showed a negative cash balance and buying power of negative $730,000. His investing account still showed 16000 I asked what happened, and finally, a person by the name of At Actually Finance posted an image of the statement that they had that looked the exact same as Alex's. His tweet read, Personal Robinhood experience. They supposedly auto-sell in the money options on the day of expire. I ended up testing that one day, and instead the options were exercised. By Monday morning, this was corrected, and the positions were sold, but it was an alarming sight over that weekend. So it appears to me now that Alex died over nothing. My version of events is that he saw the cash balance, thought he ruined his life, and killed himself the next day. And I apologize if I started some fake news about leverage. And I do feel bad for making the leverage story go viral when, in fact, it was a misunderstanding. Sorry. However, I'm the one that had to tell a six- and a four-year-old that they had to leave vacation because one of their family members had just died. And I'm the one that has to answer the questions about how he died and why he died and what death is. And I'm the one that has to go to a bodiless funeral because my wife's cousin threw himself in front of a fucking train because he was so devastated by what he thought, by what he saw that he thought death was his only option. Meanwhile, I see an article about how Robin's, Robin Hood's app has gamified investing, how the founders are proud of their design features. Well, here's a thought. How about you design a program that doesn't make a kid think he thinks he owes $730,000 when he doesn't? How about you figure out how to stick whatever that internal settlement number is into the background function rather than showing it on his home screen? Even a more experienced trader referred to it as an alarming site. So, Robin Hood, if you want to write a press release, here are the questions me and my family would like asked. In what world is it okay to show a cash balance of negative $730,000 when you know a lot of your users are retail money? His account had $20,000 in it, and you're going to flash a negative $730,000 number in front of him. How is it not just a little fucking foreseeable that that could result in a bad outcome? Why in the world, question two, why in the world are kids able to get that much notional exposure if it is even that? I don't even understand what the number is. And again, why would you not show net exposure? He thought he was selling covered calls and puts, and I think he was. Question three, what is it about your product that made my story go so viral? How is it that responses to me have mentioned know your customer issues, needs for product improvement, glitches in trading execution, and reference the infinite leverage incident. I'm all for financial innovation and democratization of opportunity, but I also recognize that finance is a unique intersection of emotion, math, and strategy, etc. It's why it's my favorite game in the world. That's why it's table stakes for these platforms to recognize what they are doing and enabling. And the idea that you can flash those kinds of numbers in front of someone's home screen and not foresee some bad outcome is ludicrous. It's negligent at minimum, and I'd argue it's at least reckless. So this is my message to you, Robin Hood, which is opinion-based. 
You name your company Robinhood, obviously to draw some images of helping the less fortunate. You allegedly gamify investing to democratize trading. That's not good for society. It's toxic. You claim to enable people by granting asset access, but you really make money incentivizing orders so hedge funds can front-run clients. That attitude gives finance a black eye, and it's the type of stuff that gives Elizabeth Warren a leg to stand on. In closing, I apologize for creating a thread that implicated leverage when the real story was interface-driven miscommunication. I was relaying the message of a dead young adult and trying to find answers. I do not want to do this, but his parents can't. They can barely get through a conversation without crying. So that's been the story since my life since Friday evening. And frankly, it sucked. <sighs> now that I have that out of the way, I'd like to have another heavy tangent <laughs> in case that was not easy enough. If you suffer from any mental illness, I beg of you not to give up. And I realize that's a little stupid because depressed minds don't think all that clearly. And I know that because I've seen it up, in per up close and personal multiple times. But you are not alone. Call a helpline, reach out to a friend, or listen to the Quote the Raven and Sanglucci podcast when they talked about blowing up because it's a really good discussion about what can happen in trading when people blow up. Uh, Alex most likely killed himself because his perception of events weren't the actual events. He didn't know because he didn't talk to anyone. And I suspect he didn't speak out because of shame. And that's bullshit, and it's left a world of pain behind. I ache for him, and more importantly now, for his family. And if he just called me, the whole incident could have been avoided. Next, a comment for young investors. To anyone that's listening that doesn't follow me on Twitter, please be careful in the markets. It's easy to listen to a podcast like this and think we're some savants or someone else's. This is all financial entertainment. It's not advice, and all of us are professionals. In podcast land, some of us are smart, and others aren't. There's no barrier to entry. Don't fall victim to authority bias. Do not do what we do without thinking about it. Honestly, my best advice is to index and go do something better for society than investing in secondary markets. But for the love of God, if you do get into investing, you have to understand what you're doing. Stay away from options, options and futures. And if you absolutely can, can't tr stay away. Trade in lots of one contract until you really understand the risks. The swings can be huge and the emotional fortitude required is learned and rare. So please be very, very careful. And finally, some of the comments on the internet have been a little disturbing on some forums. The overwhelming majority have been positive, but some have some hate or anger behind them. And to those people, I say, I hope you find happiness. Otherwise, life is going to pass you by. There's enough hate out there. Don't be part of it. I got nothing else, guys. Sorry, Bill. All right, folks. I think on that note, we'll end it. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody next week. See you then. Like we do it.